Welcome everyone. This is if this is your first time listening or tuning into this, this is your host Fahad, and my guest and regular co-host is Aziz Musa. Aziz is the founder of Kush. Uh, he's a former UK PLC CEO. Um, he's a startup advisor, advisor to the Spartans Boxing Club brand. And now it's uh, at when it was startup phase, now it is a multinational uh, franchise. And he's also an advisor for multiple other businesses. Um, yeah. But I think his biggest achievement is Kush Digital. That's why we're here and that's why we're discussing this. Um, yeah. Also, Ridwan, it's always a pleasure to have you and the flavor that you add to our podcast and uh, the wisdom and questions that you that you add. So thank you so much for being here. Um, so welcome, everyone. Uh, today, we're diving deeper into the Startup Marketing Clinic in this second part. Um, we'll be discussing some main points, but if anyone joins, um, yeah, you can uh, ask your questions. Uh, Ridwan, also, if you know anyone who wants to ask a question, they can send us a comment or um, ask to speak. Um, and I have a lot to unpack today, as is, and one of the things that I really, really want to dive into is leadership. And when I hear about startups, it always comes hand in hand with leadership. And there are a few things that I want to, I want us to unpack here, which is like the myths and realities of being a leader to a startup, because every time I read about it, it seems like a leader of a startup is like on a defined mission to be like best, um, like profit for his business. And, and you have to be this exceptional human being to be able to lead that business, um, or that startup. And, um, and there are so many theories of who is a good leader, uh, what style you should adopt and what values you should be, uh, uh, adopt as a, as a leader, um, um, I want you to talk about being a leader in the most realistic words. And if you are a leader of a startup, at what point do you actually become a leader? Because usually at the beginning, um, you're leading the project uh, more than you are leading people or teams. And um, so let's start with that. Okay, cool. So let's start with the end bit. When do you become a leader in a startup? It's when you decide that you're going to do your startup. It's when you start that process. And I think that there's so much literature around um, leadership styles, leadership personality traits and things like that. And some of it is valid. And, and a lot of it, I think, a lot of it, I think, isn't valid. I think what's important for, for startup leaders is to do a few things. Firstly, bring yourself to the table, all right? But not all of your experience. So let me explain that. So... Most people think that like, the best leaders are all extroverts who are loud and abrasive and you know, a bit like me. But actually, there's some good science on this. Uh, the majority of the Fortune 500 company CEOs, so the Fortune 500, the biggest uh, 500 companies in the US uh, stock market, um, the majority of those leaders are actually introverts. There's a great book on this called Leading Quietly. And, and there's a really good like logic behind it you know when you're when you're the leader of a large company really what you have to do what you're paid to do by your shareholders is to make more right decisions than wrong decisions and that requires patience and it requires thoughtfulness and it requires um someone who's going to think through different scenarios so this myth that you have to be this uh, loud extroverted person is, is isn't true right so some of the best leaders i know are introverts um, and when I say you bring yourself to the table, but not all of your history, I think this is really important, particularly for startups. So I've worked with a lot of founders who come to their business and maybe they're asking me to invest or they're asking me to be an advisor or what have you. And maybe they've come from a really big company. I have a specific example in mind, someone who'd come from Microsoft. And his primary focus was to build large process-driven systems, which at the start of phase just doesn't work. Now, if you're, if you're Microsoft, you need processes. You need big, large processes to be able to manage the sheer volume of workload that you have to get through. But if you're a startup, you need to be lean and fast and you need to be, be comfortable making mistakes and learning from those mistakes, uh, collecting data. And, and so you want to bring yourself, whatever yourself is, introverted, extroverted, loud, quiet, whatever that is, you bring yourself but not all of your experience. You want to bring the experience that's relevant to your startup. And ideally, you're starting up in a, in a business that, or in a, in a market that you have passion for. 
that you are passionate about and uh, you really believe that you can make a difference with with whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. So I think the leadership style is defined by the person. I don't think that there are plug and play leadership styles and I certainly never recommend anyone sort of change their leadership style. I think that you come to the party with what you've got and if you think that you're lacking in certain areas then you hire people to fill those areas in the future. But the most important thing is that you've got passion. So some of the science, like I said, is useful. Some of it isn't useful. There is one useful piece of science, which I think um, I, I, I always look for uh, in startups. And that is that something above 92% of successful startup founders have one trait in common, and it's resilience. Their ability to um, overcome disappointment rapidly and move on to the next point without losing faith yeah they've got that faith and then they move forward and you know so many start so many businesses all businesses were startups were startups at one point and so many of them were in a totally different space to where they are now so i think that they're the sort of the key elements for um leader being a leader in a startup you know bring yourself but not all of your experience That's an insightful sentence. Bring yourself, but not all of your who you are or all of your business. And um, but if I am a person with a vision and maybe with passion and resilience, does that necessarily mean that I will be able to lead that startup, or do I need to have like help or someone who could, um, who has a better personality or even maybe more experience in kind of leading the process of that startup? Because you could have the business, the best, um, a clear vision, you know, how things should be like, what should, what things should be like, but you might not have the character or maybe the resilience they were talking about to lead that business. Do you think, um, at, uh, at those stages, it is wise to have someone else kind of like, um, lead with you if you're not the, if you don't think you are the right 100% person for that? I think that um, there are no better or worse personalities. I think that, um, like you said, if you are passionate about what you're trying to achieve, then that's enough to start with. But certainly as you move into the hiring phase, you're hiring your next person or you're trying to find a partner or a co-founder, then you want to try and cover off your bases, you know, the things that maybe you're not so great at. But like I said, there is no, there is, there is no skeletal model for this. I'll give you two founder examples uh, who of, of companies that everyone know and people that everyone know. So Steve Jobs versus Elon Musk. So Elon Musk is introverted, awkward, not particularly eloquent, quite difficult to talk to, uh, and extraordinarily intelligent, like beyond it, like alien type intelligence. Um, versus Steve Jobs, who is incredibly extroverted and aggressive and passionate and driven. Now that doesn't mean that Elon Musk is a is a worse or a better leader than Steve Jobs. They're simply different types of leaders. So you can make work whatever you have. Like I don't, I honestly don't believe that there is like um, a, a perfect formula for this. And I think that we as a society have gotten into the habit of believing that um, founder leaders or, or startup founders are, you know, extroverted, eloquent type people, predominantly because of because of things like you know Shark Tank and. And, and shows like that where, where essentially if you're good at presenting your idea, you're therefore good as a leader. And that's, that's just very, very rarely the case. Um, mostly what you're looking for in, in startup leaders are people who are passionate about, firstly knowledgeable about their market space, passionate about um, what they're trying to achieve and have the drive and the will to see it through to the end. That's excellent. Um, welcome everyone uh, to the Startup Marketing Clinic Part 2. Um, we are diving deep with Aziz uh, to the um, startup marketing and everything startup. Um, if you have any questions during the podcast, just um, request and you will be um, up as a speaker and you'll be able to ask your questions. Meanwhile, we'll continue uh, with the topics that are just discussing. Um, so that, that kind of gives me hope as if maybe I, I can be a leader of a startup. Um, that being said, um, oh, Mr. Rudwell, 
Radwan had a question. Um, let's go with your comments, and then we will continue. Thank you. If I if I if I may just ask, um, as Liz, you said, once you start, you are already a leader. So that means once you start, you're already a leader. So that means part of leadership in marketing is or in entrepreneurship is that you just started or that you took the initial uh, steps to start. The the other uh, two questions that I have is you as an entrepreneur, do you always ask yourself, who are you? And the second question is, who can help me do more? Are these questions even pertinent to leadership in marketing or leadership in entrepreneurship when I try to do, um, let's say, an idea to bring it into into reality? As always, great questions, uh, Rodwan. So let's start with the first one. Yes, the act of doing makes you the entrepreneur and therefore the leader. And I, I, I always go back to this example. It's something like a, a moment that happened in my life, which I'll, I'll kind of never forget when I was I was living in Paris and I used to go to the Centre Pompidou and the Modern Art Museum and there's a Picasso in there, which is in a child's face or it looks like a child did it. And as I was looking at the, 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 the painting, behind me were some school students with their parent, uh, with their, their teacher. And the teacher, uh, one of the students said, oh, it looks like a kid did that. I could have done that. And the teacher turned around and said, yeah, but you didn't. And that's the point is that anyone can look at anything. You can have as many ideas as you like, but if you don't do the doing, you aren't an entrepreneur. Just like if you don't put paint to canvas, you're not an artist. So it's the doing that makes you the entrepreneurial leader. That's the first thing. Um, the second, uh, well, the last question I remember was, um, you know, is it worth bringing people in to, to help you? And yes, that's absolutely the point, right? So when you start your business, if you're starting by yourself, Ideally, you're looking for a co-founder or partners who are going to fill in your gaps. So let's say that you're extremely technical uh, and you've got a great technical idea. Um, then you want to bring someone in who's going to be able to market that idea with you. Or let's say that you are uh, you have the idea, but you don't have the technical expertise. Then you want to bring some technical expertise. What you're always trying to do is you're trying to fill the gaps. And I do that even to this day. I do that when I'm you know, when I'm building out my teams, I'm specifically looking at, right, what are the gaps in myself and or in the team that I'm trying to fill? And so, you know, Wahaj is a good example of that. So Wahaj, like, I'm not great with clients, managing clients. I don't have, like, a lot of patience for managing clients. Whereas Wahaj has got, like, all the patience in the world at managing clients, and she's exceptional at it. And so that's why, like, Wahaj and I work as a great partnership. And that's how I'm always looking. It's like, what are the gaps in me that I can fill with with other people? Now, when I think a lot of the success or failure of an entrepreneur is down to their emotional intelligence. How well do you know yourself? Um, because a lot of startup entrepreneurs that I meet, they aren't emotionally evolved, if that makes sense. They still get upset at the small things. They still feel slighted when someone turns them down. Um, and and these things, they just hold you back. In the real world, they just hold you back. Um, in the startup world, what you want is you want to be able to sort of get beyond those things and recognize that people have their own agendas. They have their own lives that they're living in. They're making decisions through their own eyes and ears. They don't have all of the information that you have. And emotionally intelligent, again, whenever I'm looking at startups, I'm really looking at what does the team look like? How emotionally evolved are they? first right then the product or the business second because if you've got great people the business will eventually sort itself out they'll eventually find their way into their niche but if you have people who are who lack emotional intelligence or who um are too protective over their own thinking then it doesn't matter how good the idea is it will fail It's a very specific aspect that you're discussing here, which is the emotional intelligence of a leader and how aware they are with themselves. Um, but what about the emotional intelligence of the team that you've chosen to, to be with you and managing that team? And I know that you've managed teams in different parts of the world um, with different backgrounds, different cultures. Um, so assuming that you are that emotionally aware, um, but you're managing teams who have different uh, 
degrees of that awareness and how do you navigate that because i think managing yourself is one aspect and then managing people is another aspect um and so if you could answer that um just want to remind everyone that uh, at any point if you have any questions you can just raise your hands and we your, your hand and we will uh, put you up to ask a question go ahead Aziz. so um firstly every culture is is very unique okay so there are unique aspects to every culture that I've ever worked in. So be it in the UK, in the UAE, in France, in Australia, in Sudan, in any in the US, wherever it is, every culture is in and of itself has uniqueness. Part of that uniqueness is legal and part of it is cultural. So the legal aspects, as a leader, you just need to be aware of them, right? So you just need to be aware that if you're going to work in France, trade unions have disproportionate amounts of power. Uh, compared to the UK and that any changes in organizational structure or any hiring and firing that needs to be done typically has to go through a trade union body and you just need to be aware of that that's the law in that country and there's no point trying to fight it because that's just what they're used to but then comes the cultural aspects so controversially I think it's controversial I think that certain cultures are better suited to entrepreneurialism entrepreneurialism than others so I'm going to carry on with uh, the, the, the France example. You know, the French are um, highly intelligent. They have some of the best universities in the world and great workers, but they really value their social lives and their personal lives. They really value um, those two elements uh, of, of their life. And that's a great thing. And I kind of wish I could be more like that. But as an entrepreneur, uh, you need to be able to sacrifice other things to be able to push yourself forward and then you go to the US and you find that people are genuinely willing to sacrifice everything to be able to make those corporate dreams a reality to be able to build that business for future generations and then there's other elements too so I always said that in Sudan there are certain elements of Sudanese culture which make it ideal for finding founders right so one of the things and this is a thing that we talk about quite a lot in the office is that I think Sudanese people who have lived and, and worked in Sudan have a superpower. And that superpower is their ability to deal with adversity. Like, a normal day in Sudan is more adverse than a year in, in the UK. A normal day in Sudan is typically a one or one and a half or two hour um, bus ride from uh, Umdurman to wherever, to Kapuri. Uh, that's if you can find a bus. That's if the bus is up full. That's if it's not been raining. That's if there's no Muzaharat. Then it's in 40 odd degree heat, yeah, when you're there. And then you get to that place of work and you've got so many challenges to overcome just to be able to do the bare minimum. So when someone who comes from that environment leaves that environment, for me, that's a superpower. And I see it in a lot of people who've gone to the UAE recently, you know, they've gone there. And unfortunately, some companies look down on them because they've come from Sudan. But those who have got an open mind have realized, I've spoken to a number of CEOs in the UAE recently of who I'd encourage to hire um, Sudanese people. And they're just, they've been shocked. Like, these people, they work so hard. They work hard. They're really smart. Um, they're willing to push themselves. And they're still really happy about it. And I'm like, yes, yeah, because like Sudanese people have got this superpower. We've had to overcome so much adversity just to be able to get to the office. Like, working in the UAE is beyond easy for them. So I think that different cultures lend themselves to um, entrepreneurship entrepreneurialism better than better than others that's not to say that if you're French you can't be an entrepreneur there are lots of successful French businesses but um it is to say that certain cultural uh, norms help people in that space and certain Sudanese norms hinder them as well and we don't need to go into all of those details but there is an element of that then it comes to sort of emotional intelligence and and I think this is where really in the UK um we have in the UK, people from the UK have got an edge over particularly the rest of Europe, which is that the education system in the UK focuses heavily on evolving emotional intelligence. People come out of you, you know, for the most part, they will go to university not to get a degree, but to get a degree in life, right? So they're really encouraged. I remember when I was doing my A-levels, so much of the time was spent talking about life at university rather than what you'll study at university. And when I say life at university, I'm talking about things like, um, balancing your books, uh, making sure that your bank account is in the is in the black all the time, 
um, you know, managing your time, all of these sort of soft skills that eventually over time build up more and more emotional intelligence. And you're exposed to so many different cultures that, again, that's one of those things that, that builds up emotional intelligence. So I think that wisdom and emotional intelligence are two things that go hand in hand. I think the exposure to different cultures and traveling and things like that really help with emotional intelligence. But ultimately, if I'm in front of a founder and they've got the greatest idea in the world, but they are lacking, the, firstly, they're on their own and they're lacking in emotional intelligence. They're not willing to take any criticism. For me, that's just a massive red flag. There's no way that I can work with someone like that purely because I can't see how all businesses go through adversity. And it's about how you deal with that adversity. Uh, that will define whether you're going to be successful or not. It's not whether you're going to have the adversity or not, because every business does. Um, so if you don't have the emotional intelligence to deal with that adversity, it's going to be a real struggle. Wow. We're diving deeper and deeper. Uh, but um, uh, it, every time you mention resilience and, and those and adversity, Costello um, comes to mind. Um, I want you to mention just um, exactly uh, uh, last time we spoke about this, which is like um, I, I asked you at what point do you kind of you know throw the towel and say I give up? Um, but you said there is no such thing. There is no uh, that phase, and that requires it's not just resilience. That means that you have no doubt whatsoever in this in in this business of yours. How do you how do you adopt that kind of mindset? Because I think maybe the generation, my generation and the younger generation kind of have, but like grew up with this ideal thinking that if you are a good person, if you have good values, then automatically you should be getting some sort of good results. Uh, but at the same time, the world's not work like that. Um, and we have become somewhat um, expectant of that. And when it doesn't happen, it feels like we are victims of, you know, the world not being fair. Um, but at the same time, I, some of us cannot imagine exactly uh, the extent to which a person can endure the adversity that you're speaking about. And I want you to kind of like go a bit even more in depth into that. Like, um, and for for startups who are you know starting new, especially the generation that I that I just mentioned. I think that um, I'm in my forties. So it's easy for me to say these things now, but it would have been much more difficult in my 20s when I maybe lacked emotional intelligence and had a much hotter head than I, than I have now. I think that, yeah, at no point did I doubt that Coach Digital, formerly Sudan Digital, would be a success. I had no doubt about that because I knew what success looked like. And unlike most businesses... This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. Success to me wasn't financial success. Success to me was building a digital economy in Sudan through training and education. And we've trained thousands of people in Sudan on digital. And we've been able to do it profitably. And that's a bonus. That's helpful. Um, but it's not, it wasn't my primary objective. So I think that um, how I built it is, you know, it's about firstly just recognizing what we have right? and, and saying alhamdulillah like, all the time you know there's this the, how you perceive the world makes such an impact on how you react to the world so every challenge however cliche it sounds every challenge is an opportunity i think that kush digital is a good example of that right so we we literally had to leave our home country to set up in another country and Five months before that, we had a potentially an even bigger threat, which was um, AI and the advance of AI and how AI was going to impact our own industry. But five months before, no, three months before the war started, if you remember, Waj, we went up into a different office and we dove into AI more than I think almost any any agency in our space did. And we spent you know, a whole week really purely focused on how can AI streamline our operations. And through that process, we entirely changed our operation, our operating model. And had we not done that, had we not looked at AI as an opportunity rather than a threat, there is no way we would have survived the war. And I won't go into all of the details, but 
generally speaking, if we weren't fully into AI by the time the war started on the 15th of April, this company wouldn't exist anymore. And that decision comes to comes down to mindset. It comes down to looking at threats as opportunities. Okay, this could be a threat, but if we focus in, if we look at it in a different way, it's absolutely an opportunity. So I think that that's like a large part of it is looking at looking at threats as opportunities. Uh, I'll, I'll um, give the way give way to Rodwan here. Had a question. Or back to you, Wedge. Yes, thank you. If anyone has a question, just raise your hand and we will be happy to answer it and discuss it. Um, let's move on to uh, the marketing side of things and um, let a little bit of the leadership side. Um, uh, I want to talk about brand building for a startup that a new startup and um, how do you how does that kind of differ if you are a startup that is B two B that you're targeting other businesses as opposed to you're targeting B customers, or if you have both um, uh, customers, but it's it's like have the dynamics of both. How do you kind of um, approach that brand building uh, in those two areas? Well, let me take a step back from that first, and just firstly to remind everyone: if anyone's got any questions or wants to make a comment, just uh, ask to be a speaker and uh, jump up and and love to hear what you've got to say. So let me take a step back, right? Because one of the things that is my, one of my biggest bugbears is how long startups take creating their brand, their logo, right? And it drives me crazy um, because people tend to, I don't know how, where this idea came from, but like your logo or your brand or your visual identity is like a major part of your business. It is not a major part of your, your business is a major part of your business. Your logo does not reflect your company. Your company reflects your logo, right? And that's a really important thing for me. Whenever I'm, one of the first questions I ask when I'm, I'm meeting startups is how, because um, they've almost always got a logo ready. It's like one of the first things they do is they have their logo ready. It's like, okay, so how did you, how did you, how did you come up with that logo, with that brand identity? And if they say, oh, we got a consultant, from here and we spent you know however many thousands of dollars doing this and it took you know uh three months we went through all of these iterations immediately that's the end of the conversation for me because it's like okay so you don't know what's valuable in a business the ideal answer that i want to hear is uh you know i did it myself or we used fiverr they're the answers that i want to hear now this is like for some people for some reason this is like a controversial statement but it it just isn't no one ever bought a product because of its logo. They bought a product because of its, um, because of the value that the company espouses. And that logo reflects that value. It's not the other way around, right? And if you look at some of the biggest, most successful companies in the world, their logos suck. Like, give me an example of a successful company. Well, I was going to say Apple, but it seems like everyone likes Apple. Apple's a great example, right? So just objectively, just without any emotion attached to the Apple logo, just look at the Apple logo. It is a partially eaten Apple, and they're a technology company. Just in terms of design, just in terms of aesthetics, it's an awful logo. It's terrible. However, the company Apple is known with prestigious products, innovation, uh, pushing the boundaries, exceptional quality, exceptional customer service. And those five values are now imparted onto that terribly designed logo. So that whenever you see that logo, those five values come to mind. The five values come to mind not because of the logo, but because of the company. And that's always the most important thing, building out your company before you're building out anything else. And it's one of my like biggest bugbears of people who spend so long building out their logo and their brand identity when really as a startup it has it has very little impact on um the success or otherwise of your business i think uh, what you just discussed can be a bit controversial for a lot of people um the fact that you know the logo is not your company um vice versa um Let's move up a little bit 
Uh, are you able to hear me, Aziz? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, I feel like I just lost connection. Okay, um, so let's move up a little bit uh, up uh, after that. So let's assume that you've you've made all the uh, right steps and, and you've got a brand now. Um, how do you build up that brand? Uh, how do you maintain your, your uh, voice during that brand? And how do you reach those different markets that we just discussed, the, the B2B and the B2C when it comes and, and paying attention to that, to that as you're building your brand? Yeah, so we're going to go, we'll definitely jump into channel marketing and, and how to do that for B2B and B2C brands. But I can see that our good friend, Monfossil, is, um, Monfossil Dehab is, is up as a speaker. Asalaamu Alaikum, Monfossil. Alaikum Asalaam, Aziz. How are you, dear? I am very well. How are you? Alhamdulillah. It's going fine. Alhamdulillah. Do you have anything you want to add to the debate? No, I'm enjoying this really. Uh, it's a, uh, I, I can describe it as, uh, you know, when you are in marketing, as you know, we, we, we work together in Sudan for many years. I really, I wish that we can come back again and do our work. I want to mention uh, maybe some tips, especially in the startup marketing. As you mentioned, the logo, the brand, all these aspects are maybe push your company forward, but not but not essential for your this business as a startup. When you are a startup, you need first of all, you need to know your market, know your customers, know your products. And this is the big question. What's your product? Really? I have met with people, they don't have even a product, they have an idea only. Okay, good. It's good to have an idea, but okay, how you can reflect this idea in the market? They don't have. They they are seeking for the logo, for the brand, for the name. Maybe they take many hours to choose a name. Okay. Yes, that name maybe can be brighter than this. That's logo. That's pink. That's whatever. But the main thing, your aspects in the the market, your your fingerprint, when you pick your print, it's not in the logo, it's not in the brand, it's in the the way you are making you the, the your product, your I mean your services. That's the, the big important for the startup marketing really into that. Uh, that's it uh, for me. Uh, thank you, Aziz. Uh, thank you, Montasar. And yeah, you're hundred percent right. Like Ultimately, if you're starting up, your objective is to deliver whatever it is that, in our case, it's a digital marketing agency. If you're a content creator, if you are selling washing machines, it really doesn't matter. Whatever it is that you're doing, your objective is to be known as, you know, a leader in that field. Okay, so that comes to down to different channel marketing, and I think that ultimately everything that's ever been bought and sold has gone through the same process in the history of time and it's the mckinsey buying cycle you're aware of a market you um evaluate it's a, you you consider whether you need a product or or you don't you evaluate that product versus competitors you decide whether to buy or not to buy you buy the product or service you have an experience be it positive or negative and if you go through that circle and it's seamless and you do it enough times you become a loyal customer and really Really, depending on what um, in what industry you're focused on, almost all startups will start at awareness. Now, there are two types of awareness. There's awareness, which is related to a brand. So let's say that I want to start a new bottled water company called Rodwan Water. Okay, pure water from uh, the mountains of Kassada. All right. So I am an existing product. Sorry, I'm a new product in an existing market. There are lots of water companies. There's Nestle Pure Life. There is um, Evian. There's hundreds of different water companies. So that market already exists. I don't need to make people aware of the bottled water market. I just need to make them aware of my brand, Rudwan Water. Okay. The more challenging area of awareness is when you've got a brand new concept and you need to bring it to market. So whatever that brand new concept is, you're actually what you're doing when you're building awareness is you're, you're educating people 
on the benefits, on the reason why um, this product or service is better than the incumbents or whatever. So really all startups are starting at the awareness base. But the question is, are they starting at market awareness or are they starting at brand awareness? And that that tends to change um, your, your approach to the different marketing channels that you choose. Uh, let me pass over to uh, Rodwan, who um, I'm sure will now start up Rodwan Water. Indeed, and you do get about maybe what ten percent of it, <laughs> if not fifty percent. So I do have a question as far as Mohammed. Mr. Mohammed Ahmed is a strategist, and perhaps maybe he could share some of his thoughts. But my question to you, Aziz, do marketing have anything to do with strategy? Does it look at strategy from the point of view? of, hey, I need to have a strategic plan before I market. Uh, I guess if that's if that's a thing. So just wanted to ask. Yeah, that's a, another great question. That I'm looking forward to hearing from Mohandad, who I have um, heard a lot about. So yes, absolutely. But strategy is first, right? Strategy comes first, and then you build out your marketing strategy based on your, your corporate or your organizational strategy. So strategy is always first, because you need to understand um, or market, your channels, your supply chain, all of the different elements, uh, your positioning in the market. And then from there, you can glean out your marketing strategy. But you can't typically do it the other way around. It's typically, unless you're coming with a brand new product, which um, is an entirely new market, in which case sometimes you will do some sort of marketing first in order to gain customer feedback and then build strategy out from there. But typically, you're going to start with corporate strategy, and then you're going to build out marketing strategy from that. Uh, Mohandad, um, thank you for joining us. Please introduce yourself. Assalamu alaikum, Aziz, Wahaj, Rodwan, Kuntasra, and everyone else. Um, well, um, I think, well, uh, there is two points, actually. I love the example of Apple logo. Uh, it's really telling a lot. It's not... Uh, all about the, the logo or the visual uh, identity. It is about the product itself. So as we are in like uh, almost everything is, is, is available and we're not going to most likely bring a brand new uh, product, uh, it is very important to compete or, or to build a strategy to compete and success in the market based on the what I'm going to doing uh, different. So... Just like the example mentioned, there is a water, bottled water, uh, uh, there is thousands of millions maybe of companies who are running the same business, but it is not uh, like frustrating thing. How I'm, I'm not going to be successful on that. No, I have to think what I'm going to make different to, to succeed in the market, to penetrate the market and later maybe I dominate it. So. Before starting up, I have to think about that. Making ideas such like uh, uh, the, the services I'm gonna make with the water. Water is water anyway. So shall I make like uh, uh, delivery at a doorstep? Shall I make something like uh, uh, discounts or whatever? I can make many ideas and for sure, uh, I have to identify very clearly what, how, how I'm different from others why the people should leave the product they are used to and they are happy with it and come to me. So for me, uh, that's that's a major thing I have to think before a startup. Brilliant point. Absolutely right. That, um, And I guess just to add on to Mohammed's point, so to some extent, if you've got a, a, a new product in an existing market, you're going to be asking, how can I existing customers of a different brand come over to my brand but also you're going to ask how can people who are not a customer of any brand come over to my brand so they're two separate sort of strategies and i think that this this is why just back to rodwan's question this is why marketing has to come after strategy right so it's really starts with strategy and you build out your marketing after that and very rarely in the startup world are you purely focused on either b2b or b2c sorry are you purely focused on only B2C? Now, you can be purely focused on B2B, 
that's you know companies like ours are purely focused on b2b but um if you're purely focused on b2c you almost always need to have some sort of partner strategy that goes with that so a good example of that is spartans boxing club so spartans which is the client of ours that you know we, we started with when they were just a single gym and, and now they're sort of a multinational company but their marketing is actually two twofold so they have pure b2c marketing which is come to the gym and learn how to box, right? Get fit with boxing. And that's purely bringing members to a gym. But actually, the larger part of their marketing spend is B2B, to, is B to where we are doing multiple things like writing white papers, uh, driving their SEO to drive franchise sales, to get other businesses to buy master franchises of the Spartans brand to expand into wherever, Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, Malaysia, wherever it is. So... Um, I think that both of the, you know, you, you can't really answer how should I market my brand? Um, how should I market my brand or how should I market my business without first understanding the market landscape and all of that landscaping effort comes in the, in the strategy phase. Uh, so we have about 13 minutes left. If anyone has any more questions, please feel free to, to jump up and ask uh, any questions that you have. Um, or uh, make any comments that you would like. Uh, I'll pass back to Wahaj for now. Yes, if you have any comments or questions before we end the uh, episode, please raise your hand. Uh, we would be happy to discuss it. Um, and at least I want to, uh, like, uh, maybe my final point uh, in this podcast, in this episode, will be about, um, in, the, in, this, uh, in the case uh, of, um, let's say, uh, a major PR um, issue where something happened and your business kind of um, uh, something went out something it might be true or not true um, but it kind of damages the reputation of your startup majorly either uh, a, a, the leader of the startup or the startup itself um, I remember Balenciaga kind of had uh, this this huge campaign run against it and uh, people were um, uh, kind of urging each other not to buy the product um, is that something that you can, as a startup, if that happens, uh, can you kind of um, resurrect from that? And, if, if, and should you try to even resurrect from that? Um, and because to me, that might be something that could be like, maybe you start thinking of exit strategies for your startup. Yeah. So again, I'm going to come back to resilience. You know, if you're in a if you're in a storm, you've got to ride the storm out. That's always the case. It's never the case that you give up because you can't exit from a bad company with a bad reputation. It's too difficult, and you never want to. You don't want to sell or or um, barter your company out whilst you're in a weak position. You want to be in a strong position. There are things that you can do, and it really depends on the severity and the impact. So I'm just going to use our business as a good example of that, right? So Sudan Digital was originally called, Kush Digital was originally called Sudan Digital, and it was purely called Sudan Digital to help to expand the um, positive sentiment around Sudan and, and Sudanese employees. All of our employees are Sudanese, but all of our clients up until recently were, were around the world. And the number of clients who had asked in the UAE or in the States or wherever it was or in South Africa, um, can you change the company name? don't call it Sudan Digital. And I would always say no, because like our values are, are based around Sudaneseness and promoting Sudan as a country. Now, when the war happened, there's nothing we can do to change the brand sentiment around the word Sudan. It doesn't, if we had stuck with the word Sudan, we would have just been, we would have done it out of pride and pride alone. From a business perspective, it, it was impossible. So we had to go through a process of, um, rebranding to really understand, okay, how can we move away from the Sudan digital brand? And fair, in fairness, it's been pretty easy, pretty straightforward. Um, although, you know, personally, I felt disappointed uh, by that. You know, the business survived. And uh, look, alhamdulillah that the business survived. Alhamdulillah, we're all in Egypt and we, you know, we've all got our salaries and we're able to provide for our, for our family here in Egypt and, and back home in Sudan. And a lot of people aren't in that position and a lot a lot of companies um haven't been able to continue business and and the impact that that's having on families across the country is um immeasurable so sometimes you've got to make those tough decisions when it comes to like brand disasters ultimately though as a company your aim should be do no wrong you should 
aim to do no wrong. Now, wrong sometimes comes to you as it did in our case, but if you aim to do no wrong, then you shouldn't really be facing too many grand catastrophes. Uh, let me hand to Rodwa. So Aziz, uh, thank you for that. I just wanted to ask a favor. Can you dedicate a session on marketing versus branding? For example, I want you to maybe today give us a simple intro or to maybe next session as in why uh, should we attend specifically on the difference between marketing and branding. I oftentimes get confused about it. So many people ask these questions. Well, it's just a matter of branding. Well, no, it's also a matter of marketing. So which one comes first, the egg or the chicken, as we always say. But at the end of the day, is branding similar to marketing? Is there a difference in between which one comes first? So I just thought that I asked, maybe perhaps in the next session next week, maybe you could uh, delve deeper into that. All right. Um, so... Thank you, Rodwan. We have got the title of our next session, which will be uh, this time next week, which will be Startup Marketing versus Startup Branding. Uh, the short answer is that branding is a subset of marketing as marketing is a subset of strategy. Uh, and what branding is specifically, uh, the easiest way for me to describe it is if I said to you, Volvo, the car company, Volvo, or if I said to you, the car company, Tesla, what feeling does just that word, does that evoke within you? Whatever that feeling is, that has come from branding. Okay. So we can get into, in our next session, we'll go into more detail as to what that really is and how, how that uh, evolves. Because even within branding, there are subsets of branding that you need to, that you need to address in order to evoke uh, an emotion uh, around the brand. But we'll absolutely do that in our next session. Um, I want to thank everyone who has joined. Uh, I'm Aziz. We are Kush Digital. We're a, a pure play digital marketing agency. We work with startups and multinationals all around the world. Um, you can visit us at kush.digital. This is a Twitter live, a Spaces um, live event, but it, it is also a, a podcast which will be out later on tonight. And you can uh, listen to all of our podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Kush Digital or Coffee with Kush is the name of the podcast uh, and a blog post will also go out there at some point later tonight we'll be doing this again same time next week before we cut off does anyone else have any other questions please feel free to jump up or um ask your questions if you like don't be shy um and uh if not i'm gonna thank mohaned and muntasu el radwan and wahaj and i'll leave the last word to so before the last uh, words to wahaj and wahaj always have great last words sorry about that lad uh, aziz do you think in the future, you could also talk about uh, organizations that will come in the future to uplift the issues, the causes that are going on in Sudan. And we all know that Sudan is going to take a long time to stand on its feet, probably the coming five to ten years. Uh, with us, uh, for example, that is uh, Dr. Salma uh, Mansour and others, that I would love for you to have some sessions in the future in case we decide to have some sort of nonprofit organizations or even startups for many of the young Sudanese who wants to uh, do something for Sudan in the foreseeable future. Yeah, absolutely, Rodwan. And listen, um, you and I speak about this uh, a lot. I have, um, I have very strong feelings on this specific topic uh, because, as you well know, I am a capitalist, but a like if you like a pure play capitalist I, I believe that capitalism done right uh benefits the individual uh the company and the wider society and and i built my company on that ethos and and we have now alhamdulillah a whole team here uh, in egypt who have been able to with purely the salaries that they're earning from this company bring their entire families to egypt to safety or in a couple of cases send home to their families uh, their monthly expenses and um, I think that Sudanese business people, us as Sudanese business people, have a responsibility now more than ever to be successful. Um, and to be successful means to build our businesses in other parts of the world and to very deliberately and um, very consciously hire Sudanese people, um, hire them and make it easy for them to come to work in that business and deal with the issues that come with that. Because, by the way, a lot of issues come with that. A lot of issues around trauma, psychological trauma, the issues 
um, of, of uh, cultural acclimatization. All of these issues, these are new issues that we have to deal with every day, but the, the, that's the cost. The benefit is that we're building a successful business and helping multiple families in a real, uh, in a real and consistent manner that is sustainable. This business will continue to support those families. And I think that that would be a really interesting session because um, whilst I've been really proud of so many Sudanese business people and how they have reacted to the war, I have been equally incredibly disappointed with some of the larger organizations and how they have dealt with the war. Uh, those who I felt should have been leaders haven't been leaders, but that's okay because, um, you know, there's enough good people who are Sudanese who can, who can pick up the slack and create these opportunities for Sudanese people, youth or otherwise, to to thrive in another country and to sustain themselves and their families. So yeah, we'll absolutely do that as a future session too, inshallah. Over to you, Wahaj. That's two sessions already. Um, I think this podcast is going to uh, end up to be um, this whole journey of a startup from A to Z. Um, so if anyone was listening today and you have ideas and you have uh, topics that you want to dive deeper into that regards to marketing startups or anything uh, that relates to that you can message me Aziz or Radwan and just um, tell us what you want to you know learn about um, other than that I'm really happy for everyone that joined thank you Aziz for the insights thank you Radwan and Salma I'm sure that we will be able to enjoy one session together in the future um, and so meet us next time next week same time um, for, to talk about strategy, marketing, and branding for startups. And uh, we will be talking about more. Multasar, I think you have last words. I will leave that to you, and then we're wrapping up. Go ahead, Montasar. Uh Thank you for this uh, interesting session. But uh, really, the next one, we, we must have a Arabic version, really. Because there are many people they want to join us to know the the, the if this uh, you know this information this kind of information is rare really so uh, I, I I want that uh, maybe we can get two sessions a week I know that's too hard for you but one in Arabic and one in English please if that's possible thank you very much thanks Montasid we'll we'll definitely put it into consideration there are of course selfish reasons for running these podcasts because podcasts obviously uh, create content for our business and all of our clients are sort of uh, English speaking and our prospective clients are too but uh, we'll definitely put it into consideration as well for future podcasts inshallah thank you everyone for your time uh, have a great weekend this space was downloaded via spacesdown.com visit to download your spaces today